0: appreciate the presence of everyone, especially those who are visiting with us. Hope you can come back and be with us. If you can be with us this evening, we'll be studying from Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. If you want to read that before our study tonight, as we continue our study through the book of Titus, we're going to finish chapter 2 tonight in chapter 2, 9 through 15. Encourage you to get a Bible and turn to the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. That's where we'll be studying this morning at least using that as the basis and a launching board for some things we want to talk about for Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 records two parables that encourage us to watch and be ready. And two of those, those two parables are the parable of the virgins in verses 1 to 13 of this chapter. And then there is the parable of the talents found in verses 14 through 30. Now the point of the parables is found in something that is said before the parables began and then right in the middle of the parables. So let's go to chapter 24 look at verses 42. Chapter 24 had ended by talking about the second coming of Christ. And as it dealt with the second coming of Christ, verse 40, uh, Matthew chapter 24 beginning at verse 42 says, watch therefore for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect him. So the warning is, you need to watch, and you need to be ready in view of the second coming of the Lord. You don't want to be caught off guard. Let's go to chapter 25, verse 13. After the parable of the virgins... The statement is made, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So these two parables are driving home the point to watch and be ready for the second coming of the Lord. Now we have the parable of the talents in verses 14 to 30, and there are three things that happen in the parable of the talents. First of all, there is the giving of the talents in verses 14 and 15. And that is, there was a master that gave one of his servants five talents, he gave another two talents, and he gave another one talent. You remember that story. And so there was the giving and the dispersing of the talents. So that all had talents, they all didn't have the same, but they all were given talents. We have beginning at verse 16, going through verse 18, the management of the talents, And that is the man who had five talents managed his properly and he gained five talents more. The man who had been given two talents managed his and he gained two talents more. And notice verse 18 now with me if you will. The one who had received one went and dug it in the ground and he hid his Lord's money. So he did the opposite of what the others did. He didn't act upon it. Now what we have beginning at verse 19 through verse 30 is the reckoning of the talents. The talents were dispersed, the talents were managed, and now is, there is the reckoning of the talents. That is, the master comes and calls them in to give an account. So that the man who had five talents was called in and he said, well, I've gained five talents more. Well, you're blessed and enter now into the joys. The man who had gained two talents did the very same thing and he was blessed because of that. Now, where I want us to focus is beginning now at verse 24 and 25, and I want you to notice, the man who had one talent failed, and here's what he said. He said, I was afraid. Notice beginning at verse 24, then he who had received one talent came and he said, Lord, I knew you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. You might underline that phrase in your Bible. He said, I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground, and look, there is what is yours. Here is the man that was given one talent, and he failed miserably, and the text says that when he was giving an account for it, when the reckoning came, his excuse was, I was afraid. Now here is what you've given unto me. I'll give it back unto you. Now, let's talk about that one talent man just for a moment. And I want to suggest to you that he knew what was expected of him. Look at verse 24. When it came time to give an account, here's what he said to his master. I knew you were a hard man. And I knew, verse 24 now, he said, I knew that you would reap where you had not sown and you would gather where you had not scattered seed. That's what I knew about you. So he knew what was expected of him. Look at verse 26. The Lord said, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that i reap where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. In other words, you knew that I was expecting you to take your talent and invest that and gain another talent. I was expecting you to use that talent. So he knew, first of all, what was expected of him. Second, let's go back to verse 18, and I want you to notice that he had opted for the safe course, and I must put safe in quotations. He had opted for the safe course because he didn't want to risk anything. While others were out taking their five and their two talents and investing those, he took his one talent and he hid it in the earth, the text said. He opted for what seemed to be the safe course. As it turned out, it wasn't the safe course at all. Now look at verse 25. He made a claim of innocence. And his claim of innocence was, I neither, though he doesn't word it this way, but his implication is, I neither stole nor lost what you gave me. I didn't mismanage it at all. I just didn't invest it. So here's what he said at verse 25. He said at verse 25, we've already read, that I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground and look, there you have what is yours. In other words, he came bringing it back. I didn't lose it. I didn't steal it. I didn't mismanage it, but here is what is yours. And so he had a claim of innocence. I want you to notice verse 24, something else about this one talent man. He shifted the blame to his master, reasoning that his master expected too much. That's what he means at verse 24. I knew you were a hard man. In other words, I thought you expected more than I could do. I thought you were expecting more than I was capable of doing. I thought you would expect something of me that I could not perform. So I went and hid it in the earth so I could give it back to you because I couldn't do what you asked me. I was afraid, he said. Let's go further. I want you to notice he was the opposite in his action of the two talent, of the two talent men, the five and the two talent men. That is the five talent man and the two talent men did just the opposite of what this man was. So here's what that means. That means that whatever they did, they were not afraid. So when they took the five talents and invested that in the two talents and invested it, that meant they were not afraid at all. This man said, are you reading with me again at verse 25? He said, I was afraid. Here's something else. They did what was expected of them. He did not do what was expected of him. The five-talent man was expected to gain five more. The two that gained two more. There's something else about those two men. And that is they were active. He was inactive. They used what they had. And they did more than not steal or lose. The five-talent man didn't steal it, nor did he lose it, but he used it. The same thing with the two-talent man. This man is just the opposite. That is the one-talent man is just the opposite. Now let's turn to the book of Joshua just for a moment. And I want to focus on a word Go to the book of Joshua. This is as they're embarking upon the conquest in the land. And what I want you to see is that being afraid is the opposite of having courage. And we'll come back and make application to our man. In Joshua chapter 1 and in verse 9. You can imagine, as they're embarking upon the conquest of the land, they're going to go in and conquer the land, but they're going to have to drive people out of the land. That could be a challenge like they've never seen before. In fact, they had said earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, we've never passed this way before. This could be difficult. And so the book of Joshua begins on this note in Joshua 1 and in verse 9, Have I not commanded you to be strong and of good courage and do not be afraid? That means that if you are afraid, you're lacking in courage. If you have a responsibility that God has laid upon you and you shirk that saying, you know what, I was afraid to do that, you're lacking in courage. The five-talent man had courage. The two-talent man had courage. The one-talent man said, I was afraid. That means he was lacking in courage. He couldn't do what God had asked him to do. Now here's the lesson to be learned. The lesson to be learned is that God will judge not merely for doing wrong, but for not doing right. I want you to get that point, that God does not merely judge one for doing wrong, but for not doing what is right. The one-talent man hadn't done anything wrong in the sense that he had not stolen. He had not lost this at all, but what he had done or what he had failed to do is what he was judged on, and that is he was failing to use the talent that he had been given. And so I'm learning a very powerful lesson, that God will not merely judge us for doing wrong for what we actively did, but he will judge us for what we are not doing. Now here's the point. And the point is that when giving an account, this one talent man said, I was afraid. That is, he was afraid to do what he knew he should do. In essence, what he is saying is, I knew what I ought to be doing, I knew what was expected of me, but I was, he said, afraid. Let's talk this morning about I was afraid. If you haven't already, go back to Matthew 25 and verse 25. You might underline that phrase as you see it from time to time. You'll be reminded of this principle that we ought not to be like the one talent man who shirks the responsibility saying, I was afraid. I was afraid to do what I knew I ought to be doing. Now, there are three things we want to talk about this morning, and I want us to talk about the reason why and the risk taken. And thirdly, the excuse offered. Let's start with the reasons why. What do we mean by the reasons why? I want to first of all talk about the reasons why some are afraid to do what God has expected of them, the reasons why they are afraid to do what God has laid up on their shoulders. Well, what is the reason? Well, here's one. Let's go back to our text in Matthew chapter 25. First of all, there is a mistaken view of God. There is a mistaken view of God. Do you remember what this one talent man said? He said, concerning his master, he said, I knew you were a hard man. His idea was, the master demands too much. That the master is unfair. And what I learned from that is he had very little faith, maybe no faith at all in the master's fairness or the master's goodness. So I was afraid to go and invest this one talent. I wasn't going to do anything about the one talent because I knew you were a hard man. Why was you afraid? He had a misunderstanding and a mistaken view of his master. And some have a misunderstanding about God and consequently they shirk their responsibility because they think God is unfair. They have no faith in God's goodness and God's fairness. More about that in a moment. But here's a second reason. Some are afraid because they have no confidence in themselves. That's what this man is saying in verse 25. When he said, I was afraid and I went and hid it. I was afraid to do anything with it. I was afraid to take it to the bankers and invest. He didn't have any confidence in himself. Though his master did have confidence in him. You say evidence of that. He gave him one talent, didn't he? He had confidence in the five-talent man and the two-talent man. He also had confidence this one-talent man could do something with that talent. The master gave him a talent. That suggests he had confidence in him. But he didn't have confidence in himself. I don't think I can do it. And so he thought he would fail. And so he said, I was afraid. Here's something else. Let's turn to Mark chapter 5. Sometimes people are afraid because they're lacking in faith. They are afraid because they are lacking in faith. Look at Mark 5 and in verse 36. Verse 35, uh, Mark 5, beginning at verse 35, while he was still speaking, still uh, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, there's our word, Only believe. There is a contrast with being afraid and and believing. This man was afraid in our text in Matthew chapter 25. What's the problem? He's lacking in faith in his master. He's lacking in faith in himself. He's lacking in faith with reference to the command that was given to him. The disciples in Luke chapter 17 were given a difficult command. We'll come to that a little bit later in our study. And they said that we need to increase our faith. We recognize our faith isn't strong to do that. But here's something else. Let's go to Mark chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 14. Do you remember the occasion when Jesus was walking on water and Peter asked him to bid you, me to come unto you? And Peter did. And he began to walk on the water and then the text says he began to sink. So let's look at Matthew chapter 14 and in verse 30 that when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was, here's our word, afraid. And what happened to him? He began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Here's what I want you to notice from that text. He took his focus off of the Lord and turned to the dangers and then he was afraid. Sometimes we're afraid to do what God has told us to do and we'll list some of those in a moment. And and you say, well, why are some people afraid? They take their focus off of the Lord and they focus on the dangers that are around. When we take our focus off of the Lord and look at the dangers, then we are afraid. Why are some people afraid? They often function on misinformation. Let's go to the book of Nehemiah. You remember Sanballat and Tobiah, a leader to the north and a leader to the south of the work that was going on in rebuilding the wall. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 13 and 14, the text says, for this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way in sin. In other words, They started rumors. And so this misinformation was to spread around the wall so that they caused the work to cease and the work to stop. It was supposed to make Nehemiah and all of the workers afraid when this misinformation circled around the city. Why are some afraid? They're functioning on misinformation they have about the command, about the consequence, how it will turn out. You'll see evidence of that here in just a moment. Let's go to Job 6. Why are some afraid? What's the reason why some are afraid? Some are often afraid because they think something bad is going to happen, and that makes them fear. Notice in Job 6, you remember Job's friends, they come to Job and they see that he's suffering greatly and they think that you had to do something bad to cause this to happen. This just don't happen to good people. And here's Job's explanation of that. He said in Job 6 and in verse 21, he said, you now are nothing, you see terror and are afraid. What's he saying? What he's saying is, you're making up this idea that I've done something wrong so as to cause my suffering. Because if you accept the premise that good men suffer, you are afraid it'll happen to you. You're afraid something bad's going to happen to you. And you don't want to admit that. You don't want to accept that. He said, you men, you look at me, but you're the ones that are scared to death, not me. You're scared to death. That the same thing could happen to you. Sometimes we are afraid because we think something bad is going to happen. Well, if I do that, if I obey that command, if I embark upon doing that, then something bad might happen to me. And we'll give some evidence of that here in just a moment. We're just listing reasons why some might be afraid. But I want to list some reasons now. Some reasons why we should not be afraid. What are some reasons why we should not be afraid? Well, let's list some First of all, let's go to Matthew chapter 24, 25 and verse 24. The reason we ought not to be afraid is because the Lord expects it of us. What's the text say? Look at Matthew 25 and in verse 24. Matthew 25 and verse 24, the one talent man said, I knew you were a hard man and that you would reap where you didn't sow. And you would gather where you had not scattered seed. It was expected of me, he said. Now, why should I not be afraid? I shouldn't be afraid because the Lord expects this requirement of me, whatever that requirement may be, whatever that requirement may say. The Lord expects that of me. Secondly, the Lord is with you. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 1 and in verse 9. This is where we were a moment ago. In Joshua chapter 1 and in verse 9, as they're embarking upon going into the land of Canaan, as they're about to do that, he said, do not be afraid, for the Lord is with you. That is, you don't have a reason to be afraid because God is with you in all of this. But let's go to another text. We're not going to look at all of those that are on the screen before you. But let's notice Jeremiah chapter 1 and in verse 8. Jeremiah chapter 1 and in verse 8. The same thing was said to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1 in verse 8, he said, Chapter 1, verse 8, do not be afraid of their faces. In other words, Jeremiah, you're going to go forth and preach. They're going to scowl at you. They're going to make faces at you. They're going to ridicule you. So he said, do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And what am I learning from that? I'm learning that when God has given me a requirement, I ought not be afraid because God is with me. I ought not be afraid because of the promises of God. In taking the city of Ai, after they had failed in chapter 7, chapter 8, God told them to go march into the city and he said, I have given unto you Ai. That was a promise. You'll not be afraid to go take Ai because I gave it to you. I've given it to you. Here is the promise it's going to take place. Let's look at another. Because we can be prepared. Because God has equipped us to be prepared. Now let me just illustrate that with a text. It's not really talking about that point. This is talking about the virtuous woman. But she wasn't afraid. And I'll tell you why she wasn't afraid. Let's go to Proverbs 31. Look at Proverbs 31 and then verse 21. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. So this virtuous woman, when when the snow falls and it turns cold, she's not fearful of that. She doesn't say, you know, I am afraid what's going to happen tonight. Why is it? For all her household is cold and scarlet. She made preparation for the winter. She made them clothes. She got all things ready. And so I should not be afraid when God's given me a requirement because I can be prepared for that requirement. It may be raising a family. It might be doing the work of preaching the gospel. It might be the matter of worship, whatever the case may be. And furthermore, you have the ability. Go back to Matthew chapter 25. Remember the one-talent man, he was given one talent. Now he didn't have the ability to gain five talents more. Nor could he gain two talents more. But he could have gained one talent more. He was given an ability. God has given you ability. In fact, in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So now I'm going to understand the reasons why some are afraid. And I understand the reasons why I ought not be afraid. Now let's talk about not only the reasons why, but the risk taken. You now what do we mean by that? I want to suggest to you, that first of all, there are some risk in doing what is expected. Whatever the requirement is. It might be being baptized. It might be observing the Lord's Supper. It might be in leading in your family, training your children. Whenever God has given you a requirement, there are some risks that are involved. Evidence? It involved risk with all of the talents that were given in the story of the talents, wasn't it? Well, there's some risk in him investing the five talents. And there was some risk in investing the two talents. And further evidence that there was some risk, the one talent man went and hid his. There wasn't any risk, why did he go hide it? There was some risk involved. And there's risk involved in doing what you are required to do. Evidence of that would be in Exodus 4 and verse 1. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 4. There must be some risk. God had told uh, uh, Moses... I want you to go and tell Pharaoh, I want you to go deliver my people. And I'm going, I want you to go to my people and deliver them and lead them. And then I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him, let my people go. Notice what was said Exodus 4 and verse 1. But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice and suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. There's risk involved here, Lord. There's some risk. And the risk is, what if I go and they, they reject me? What if I go and they won't accept What if they ask questions I don't know how to answer? There's some risk involved. I want to tell you, there's a risk involved in being baptized. Because there's a possibility you may not remain. There's risk involved in observing the Lord's Supper. You may not observe it in the right manner. There's risk involved. There's risk involved in teaching your neighbor. They may not accept it. There's risk involved in leading in your home. Leading in the church. Others may not follow. There's risk involved when you take a stand and you say, here's where I stand. This is the matter of the truth and this is it. You may lose friends. There's a risk involved in saying, No, I'm not going to do that. You may be rejected by others. There's a risk involved. Let's go back to the parable of the talents for a moment. There was risk involved in all of those talents. But I want to suggest to you there is a greater risk in failing to act. James 4 and verse 17. We're coming back to the parable of the talents just briefly and then we're going to move on. But James chapter 4 said, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. You say, well, here's a command I've been given, but there's some risk. If, If I do that, I'm taking some risk. Yeah, you're right, you're taking some risk. But I want to suggest there is a greater risk in failing to act because you know to do good and you don't do it, it is sin. The one talent man well understood that. He had a talent and he said, I was afraid. I was just afraid. And there was a greater risk he found out when he heard from his master to take away that one talent and give it even to the one who had ten talents and cast him into outer darkness. There's a greater risk in failing to act. But let's spend the rest of our time talking about this, the excuse offered. Do I know the reasons why. I know the risk taken. Let's talk about the excuse offered. Let's go back to our text in Matthew 25 and verse 25. If you haven't already marked that or underlined it, this might be a good time to do that for future study. That when you come back across that, you're going to remember that we ought not to be afraid. He excused himself saying, I was afraid. You see, that was the excuse offered by the one talent man. And it very well may be that's the same excuse that we'll be offering at the day of judgment. Now, let's go back to the context. That's why we started there. Do you remember the context in which Matthew 25 sets? There was the second coming mentioned at the end of chapter 24. And there are two parables here, one of which is the parable of the talents, that is driving home the principle, watch and be ready for the second coming. You need to watch and be ready because you might be caught off guard like the one-talent man or like the foolish virgins. So in that context... This is the exact application Jesus is intending. It very well may be that we will offer excuses at the day of judgment. And our excuse may be, I was afraid. To do what? You know, on the day of judgment, the Lord very well may be asking, why did you not obey the gospel? Why did you not become a Christian? You see, we're all going to give an account before the judgment bar of God. There's going to be a reckoning of the talents, And you may stand before the judgment bar of God and you may hear the question, why did you never obey the gospel? Why did you never become a Christian? After all, obeying the gospel is not that hard. Do you remember the point in Romans chapter 10? You know, if it was real hard, where it was difficult and it's hard to figure out, then you might be having an excuse but Romans chapter 10 tells us that righteousness is made available to us. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He illustrates how easy salvation is. It's as easy as using your mind and as easy as using your mouth. doesn't require something difficult. Difficult like what? Ascending into heaven to bring Christ down from above or ascending into the abyss to bring Christ up again from the dead. But verse 8, the word is near you. The Jews use this word near and close to have reference to something easy. It's within your reach. It's as easy as and as close as your mind to use it to believe. And it's as easy as using your mouth to say, I believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God. That's not an exhaustive list of conditions. It's just showing how easy it is. It's within your reach. Same context. Same context. Salvation is offered to one and all alike where God offering it to one, but didn't offer it to you, you could say, you know what? The reason I never obeyed the gospel, I never were given the opportunity to. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. For the scripture says, Whosoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. Verse 13, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it very well may be in the day of judgment when God asks you, Why didn't you obey the gospel? Your answer will be, I'll tell you what, I was afraid. That's why I didn't do it. I was afraid. You see, I was afraid I couldn't hold out. I knew maybe if I was baptized, I'd be tempted again, and I was afraid that I couldn't hold out and be faithful. That's why I didn't do that. I was afraid my family would turn against me. I knew I had family members that would look down upon me because I took a stand and because I was baptized, and that would be condemning them, and I was afraid my family would turn against me. I kept thinking I was going to do it, but I was afraid. I was afraid I would miss out on the life that I'd been living. I was afraid my friends would ridicule me. When I go back to school and I tell them I've been baptized, I'm now a Christian, I'm living different, they're going to make fun of me for that. And I'll tell you why I didn't do it, Lord. I was afraid. It may be that in the day of judgment the Lord asks you this. Why didn't you talk to your friends about the gospel? Why didn't you teach them? You lived side by side. You saw them on a daily basis. And you never talked to them about the gospel. After all, you know that you should because we're told to take the gospel to the world. Mark 16 and verse 15. Go preach the gospel to every creature. Paul told Timothy the things that he had learned, he was to take and teach unto faithful witnesses who should be able to teach others also. So the taught are to teach again. But it very well may be in the day of judgment when God asks, Why did you not talk to your friends about the gospel? Your answer will be, I'll tell you what, Lord, I was afraid. That's why I didn't do that. What are you afraid of? I was afraid they wouldn't listen to me. I was afraid they just wouldn't listen. And I was afraid that if I talked about religion, it would destroy our relationship. We have a good relationship. We get along well. But I thought just as soon as I brought up religion, there was going to be problems. And I thought they would ask me questions that I could not answer. I was afraid. And I was afraid I couldn't do a good job at it. I didn't bring up the Bible. I didn't ask them about a Bible study because I thought if we do, it's not going to go well. They're going to ask me things I can't handle. And so you see, I didn't talk to them because I was afraid. Are you afraid to talk to your neighbor? It may be that at the day of judgment, the Lord will call some to the reckoning bar and say, I want to ask you something. Why did you not discipline your child? Why didn't you correct their misbehavior? After all, you knew that you should. Proverbs 22 and 15 said, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. I mean, children will misbehave, but the rod will drive it far from him maybe like the one talent man, you say, I knew that. I knew that. I knew you were a hard man. I knew you're expecting that of me. And you also know that chastening will create respect. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse 13 or verse 9. Hebrews chapter 12, they're talking about the Persecution, but he calls it a chastening, just as our fathers chastened and disciplined us. What did that create? Verse 5, that we had fathers, human fathers, who corrected us, and we paid them respect. That's where that respect comes from, from that discipline. But at the day of judgment, you may very well say, you know what, Lord, I know I didn't discipline my children, and I'm going to tell you why. It was because I was afraid. I was afraid. That's why I didn't spank them. That's why I didn't discipline. Why were you afraid? I was afraid it might destroy their spirit and their will. That's what Dr. Spock said. And I thought he might be right. You see, I was afraid to do that because I thought the child might turn against me. That's what I thought would happen. I didn't discipline them. And you see, I thought I wouldn't be the fun parent. I wanted to be the fun parent. I didn't want to be the disciplinarian. I wanted to be the fun parent. And I thought the fun would stop when I sat down on them and I spanked them. I was afraid. I was afraid to make the child mad. Thought they might not get over it. And so, Lord, that's why I didn't discipline my children as you said I should. It may be that at the day of judgment, the Lord will ask you this question. Why did you not set your foot down and tell your teenager no? Why did you let them rule the house? How come when the children came teenagers? You let them pretty much rule the roost. And you let them have the call, and you let them make the decisions of what they would do and where they would go and what would be okay, and you did not tell them no. And you let them just do whatever they want. And you're going to say, I knew I should. Because I remember reading in Bible class, and I remember in sermons, I remember reading about Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and in verse 13. He did not restrain his children. I remember reading about that. But also remember that they turned out to be wicked children because wicked sons, chapter 2 and in verse 12, who had no fear of God and no respect of God because he did not restrain them. I remember that. I knew what I should have done. I should have said no. And I also understood from Ephesians 5, which we talked about many times in Bible classes and in sermons, that parental authority must be respected. But I want to tell you, God, why I did not tell my child when they became teenagers no is because I was afraid. I was afraid to tell them no. What are you afraid of? I was afraid he or she might rebel. I thought if I sat down on him and said, no, you're not going. To that event. No, you're not listening to that music. No, you're not watching that movie. No, you're not going to wear that kind of attire. I thought they'd rebel against me. I thought I'd be viewed as being harsh. I thought I would be one that would not let them. Do what other people were doing, and then miss out. I thought I'd be thought of as being odd or silly by my children and other parents. And to tell you the truth, I thought it'd create some friction with my mate. I thought if I set my foot down on that teenage child, mama would begin to cry and holler. That's why I didn't say no. I didn't want friction in the family, so I just let it go, and I let it pass. You see, Lord, I was afraid to deal with my teenage child. No different from the one-talent man. Or maybe the Lord will ask at the day of judgment, why could you not be the leader to your wife? And why could you not tell her no about things that were ungodly? And things that you were not going to let the children do. Why could you never say no to your wife about plans that she had that you thought was not good for the marriage? Why could you never tell her no? Because you know that the husband is, the, is to be the leader, Ephesians 5. We talked about that in Bible class this morning. And you know the husband bears responsibility. He's not a boss. It's the idea of bearing responsibility for the family. So why did you never tell her no? Whatever she wanted to do, you always let it go and you never told her no. And your answer very well may be, I'll tell you what, Lord, I was afraid. I was afraid of that. What are you afraid of? I thought she might leave. I thought if I sat down and I said, no, you're not going to make those plans. No, we're not going to do that in this family. We're going to serve the Lord. I thought she might pack her bags and leave me. That's why I never told her no. I'll tell you, I thought it might start an argument. Just trying to keep peace in the family. I thought she might get mad and resent me. And I thought she might think I don't love her, or don't trust her. So I was trying to show I loved her by just letting her do whatever she wanted. Go where she wishes. Be with whom she wants and I just let her go. I was afraid of her. It may be that the Lord will ask you this in the day of judgment. Why have you not forgiven The one that repented and begged for forgiveness. Someone may have done you wrong. They may have said something about you. They may have said something to you. They may have defamed your character. Or in some other way, they have sinned against you. And the Lord may ask you, they repented and they asked for forgiveness, but you never forgave. You know you should. Let's look at Matthew 18. In verse 35. Jesus ends his parable of the unforgiving servant by saying this. He said, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. By the way, that's in the context of verses 15 to 17 where you reconcile those differences. If they've done wrong, you go with trying to gain them, trying to get them to repent so you could forgive them. Well, what if they do repent? This text says forgive them. That's the point of the parable. The Lord forgives us as we forgive others, which means that if I haven't forgiven, the Lord's not going to forgive me. And that may be why he asked me this question at the day of judgment. Why didn't you forgive the one that repented and begged for forgiveness? And let's look at Luke 17. I said earlier, we'd come back to this and here it is. God has given us the command to get, forgive, even when it is hard. You see, forgiveness isn't easy. What do you mean? it's, It's never, it's not always easy. We see if somebody has forsaken the assembly and they say, I'm repenting of that, would you forgive me? Well, that's, oh yeah, I can forgive you that, that's not a big deal. Someone said, I've stolen some money at work and I'm repenting of that, would you forgive me of that? And I'm, oh sure, because that didn't involve me and I can, that's easy to forget. But when they have lied against me and their insult is against me, now it's hard. Look at Luke 17, look at Luke 17. He said, look at verse 3. If your brother sins against you, you rebuke him. And if he repents, you forgive him. Now, wait a minute, that's hard. Hang on, hang on. It gets harder. Look at verse 4. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, that's real hard. You know how I know it's hard? Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5, the apostles' response to that was increase our faith. In other words, we don't know if we have the faith to do that. That's hard, that's difficult. The command to forgive is even when it's hard. But it may be at the day of judgment we stand before the judgment bar giving in the reckoning of our one talent. And the Lord said, why didn't you forgive those who repented and asked for forgiveness? And you say, I'll tell you what, I was afraid to do that. I wanted to, but I was afraid. What are you afraid of? I was afraid they might think I didn't take the sin serious. Why, if I just said, well, I forgive you of that, and I'm going to treat you as if you've never done that, they may think I I treat that sin as a trivial matter. I want them to know how serious this sin against me is. You've lied against me. I don't want you to ever do that again, and I want you to know how serious it is, so I'm not going to forgive you. I was afraid they'd take it as a trivial matter. I, I, I thought they might think that I viewed sin as trivial. Maybe that was the point of 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 2. Or oh, I was afraid they might do the same thing again. I want to hold on to this one because what they'll probably do the same thing again. They, they lied against me and I'm afraid they'll lie again. And I want to have this one to hold with that one so I can beat them over the head with two things now. See, I was afraid they'd do the same thing again. I, just, I was pretty sure they are going to go back and do it again. And that's why I didn't. You see, I was afraid. And I was afraid. That when I told them I forgive you, that I really couldn't turn loose and let go and release it. Because that's what forgiveness is, by the way. Turning loose, releasing, and letting go. And I was afraid I really couldn't do it. That when it came time, I have a firm grip on the offense against me and I I just couldn't turn loose. And so I was afraid and I didn't do it. That's why I didn't do what you asked me to do. And finally, it may be at the day of judgment, the Lord may ask this question. Why did you not withdraw yourself from those that walk disorderly? There are people within your circle that walk disorderly, and they were living in contrary to the will of God, and and, and you never took any action against them. You see, you you know you should because there is that's to be taken by the church when you're gathered together in my name, that is, in the name of Christ. He said that they were to take action. I'm paraphrasing, 1 Corinthians 5, 6. But there's also action that's taken by the individual where they don't socialize, don't mix up together with, keep company. That's the idea of keeping company, mix up together with. And the Lord may come to you saying, well, why is it that when they were walking disorderly, you continued to mix up together with them? Why did you do that? And the answer may be, I'll tell you what, Lord, I was afraid to do that. I was scared to death to do that. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Well, what was the problem? Well, I was afraid. What are you afraid of? I'll tell you what I was afraid of. I was afraid I might lose my relationship with them. You see, we've been close friends for a long, long time. And I thought just as soon as I told them, that you're living disorderly and I'm going to not have anything to do with you now, that I might lose my relationship with them. And I was afraid of that. I didn't want that. And i tell you what else, Lord. I was afraid it may cause a split in the family. We're getting along pretty well in the family. And I was afraid that when I took my stand here, some others in the family are going to be at odds with me. And I just, we, we just didn't want that. We didn't want that. I, I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid that I would never have the same relationship with my children and grandchildren. I didn't want that. Blood's thicker than water. Water. And I want to tell you, I don't want to break up that relationship, and I was just afraid. And I was afraid I would lose a friend, and I would lose a family member. And so, Lord, no, I didn't do it. I know what you said. I know what you said. I understand that. I've heard that, but I didn't do it. And I want to tell you why. Because I was afraid. I want to tell you, it didn't fare well with the one-talent man when he offered that excuse before the Lord. Before his master, he came saying, I'll tell you what, I hid it. I didn't do anything. I didn't do what you ask. I didn't do a thing with it. And I won't tell you why I didn't do it. I was afraid. Could you be offering that excuse? We talked about the reasons why the risk taken and the excuse offered. That excuse will be offered in the day of judgment. When we stand before the judgment bar of God, the Lord may be asking, why didn't you? And our answer very well may be, I'll tell you what, Lord, I was afraid. Are you afraid to obey the gospel this morning? Do you not have faith and courage and just do what the Lord asks you to do? Would you become a Christian this morning? Or it may be that you need to make correction in your life. Would you do that this morning? Have faith and have courage. Don't be afraid. Just do what the Lord asks you to do. If you're subject to the invitation, we hope and trust that you come while together we stand and while we sing.